The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. It happened quickly. Do you remember? Barely a week into shelter in place here in Northern California, and the internet was abuzz with aspirations. Photos of newly organized closets and deep cleaned freezers, how-tos for your quarantine diet, your home gym setup, or your next elaborate crafting project. Stores sold out of yeast as seemingly everyone took up bread baking. Dumbbells and yoga mats, too, were suddenly in short supply. It was, it seemed, the perfect time to learn a new language, write that novel, get in the best shape of your life, or finally get your files in order. On some level, the trend was a testament to the resilience of the human spirit the drive toward self-improvement, even under challenging circumstances. It was beautiful to see the fruits of creativity and energy channeled a little bit differently than usual. Even awash in uncertainty and instability, it seemed there were still possibilities everywhere for growth and improvement. The motivation for these efforts, I'm sure, was as unique as each of us. For some, the slowing of productivity needed a counterbalance, inspiring a doubling of effort in other areas. For some, these projects were a necessary coping mechanism in the face of anxiety or grief. But part of it, I think, was an exaggerated version of the same phenomenon that emerges each year in the form of New Year's resolutions. And just beneath the enthusiasm and the energy, there was an unsettling undercurrent of insufficiency. Become a better you before the pandemic ends. Now is the time, shouted a headline in April. 10 ways to improve yourself in quarantine, offered another. The moment was encouraging a kind of relentless scrutiny of every aspect of our lives, shining a kind of floodlight on the ways that our bodies, our homes, our hobbies, our relationships were falling short. The frenzy of self-improvement buzzing around the collective emphasized a fundamental not-enoughness, even in a time of collective disruption even with so many still working, still parenting, still getting by, all while coping with harder circumstances than ever. For some, the realities of being an essential worker, a caregiver, a human, 
in such a time meant that such aspirations weren't an option to begin with. But that pressure was there, nevertheless. Even for those for whom they were, the evolution of these aspirations was telling. Like the classic arc of a New Year's resolution, it wasn't long before the activities and intentions from early in shelter in place began to fall by the wayside. The sourdough starters abandoned along with the aspirations, making room for another layer of self-criticism for not having done enough. Beholding ourselves through a lens of insufficiency can always drum up more imperfections, can't it? Criticism begets more criticism. But does it always support growth? In the seminal essay, Poetry is Not a Luxury, womanist theorist, poet, and activist, Audre Lorde describes this scrutiny as the quality of light by which we perceive ourselves. The quality of light through which we scrutinize our lives, she writes, has direct bearing upon the product which we live. And, she continues, upon the changes which we hope to bring about through those lives. It is within this light that we form ideas by which we pursue our magic, she says, and make it realized. Lord writes here of poetry, not the words and verses, but poetry as way of living, of thinking, feeling, and ultimately creating transformation in ourselves and our world. Under what light do we look at our lives, at ourselves, at each other? Contrast, if you will, the glaring light of a fluorescent overhead to the soft light of candles, which helps us to perceive more clearly. Without reflection, I would always have said the bright lights. The brighter, the better. Whatever it is that can bring into visibility the inevitable crack, stain, or blemish on whatever it is that's before you. But at dusk, when the time comes to switch from sunlight to another source by which to illuminate our lives, I don't know about you, but I almost never choose the fluorescent overhead these days. This winter, as the days grew shorter, with more time than ever at home, as the pandemic wore on and the losses piled up around us, I began lighting candles not just for ritual, but for living, for cooking, for reading, even for sitting on Zoom. While the gentle light of a candle may not expose the dust in the corner, the scratch on the table, the peeling paint on the wall, it does help me to see my space differently, nevertheless. Bringing into focus not lack, but beauty and sufficiency. Of course, bright lights have their value too. I'm not proposing that we live our lives by candlelight. Bringing visibility to those dust bunnies does matter sometimes, 
And sometimes what needs to be brought to light is more insidious than dust, especially in the face of injustice. The scrutiny of criticism plays an essential role. It allows us to expose things that need to be exposed, to call out and disrupt microaggressions, bias, supremacy, and harm in our communities and in the world. As healer and movement facilitator Adrienne Marie Brown writes, critiques ideally help us grow collectively. Critiques are part of how we sharpen one another. As Unitarian Universalists, critique and critical thinking are dearly held values, part of the responsible practice of our fourth principle, our commitment toward the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are, after all, heretics on both sides of our family, Reverend Leslie Takahashi reminded us in, our, in her 2019 Barry Street essay, Truth, Trauma, and Transformation. In both precious heritages, universalist and Unitarian, she continues, we come from a line of heretics and questioners, defined and named by theological and political adversaries. It is a heritage to be proud of, but not one free of limitations. Takahashi and the authors of the Commission on Institutional Change Report, widening the circle of concern, point out that an unintended consequence of our emphasis on individual discernment and scrutiny through reason and critical thinking has been the over-centering of the discerning individual at the expense of what binds us together. Of course, this questioning, critiquing with all its merits and its shortcomings is not unique to our congregations in academia, in social justice spaces, and plenty of other places, I'm sure. We are trained to look for the holes in an argument, to notice the inconsistencies and contradictions in an action, to expose first, root out the flaws, to critique, critique, critique. There's some satisfaction in doing so, right? Some gratification in spotting the blemishes and the shortcomings. Sometimes the shrewdness is a gift in service of our individual and collective transformation. And sometimes it isn't. At their best, critique illuminates what needs to be perceived. At their best, critique helps us grow and transform. But when the critical lens becomes supreme over all other lenses, does it actually support the individual and collective transformation that we're after? When too steeped in critique, awash in fluorescent lights, what do we lose? This past summer, I was persuaded to sign up for a singing class taught over Zoom by a friend of a friend. And I entered the class with some trepidation, but quickly discovered that my anxieties were in good company. In our first session, the instructor invited us to share our singing autobiographies. 
a brief sketch of how our relationship with song and with our voices had evolved throughout our lives. Nora, the first person to share, began with a wistful look on her face. As a child, she started, I was always singing. Singing while walking, while playing, while taking a bath, even while eating. I loved singing, she said. But at some point, something happened. It might have been when my older brother made fun of me for being off key, for missing that high note. Suddenly, that was all I could hear. I stopped singing in public, and then eventually I stopped singing at all. Nearly 30 years passed, she said, before Nora realized how much she missed music in her life, signed up for that singing class, and began to reclaim her voice. The next person shared, and then the next. And in so many of the stories, there was a moment where internal or external critics managed to convince each person that they weren't good enough to sing, even for fun. Sometimes, like in Nora's story, it was a passing comment from a family member, a friend, or a music teacher. Sometimes it was just one's own inner critic that stifled their song. More often, the two were interrelated. Under the harsh light of a critical lens, tender, vulnerable things can wither and get washed out. Julia Cameron, the author of The Artist's Way, argues that experiences like Nora's, like nearly everyone in that singing class, are all too commonplace. It might not be singing. It might not even be something that we would typically classify as creative. But all of us, she says, have an underlying, indwelling creative force within us. However, that creative force is often blocked in part by a tendency to criticize ourselves mercilessly. We are victims, she says, of our own internalized perfectionist, a nasty internal and eternal critic who resides in our brain and keeps up a constant stream of subversive remarks, often disguised as truth. Our internal critics are often shaped by external critics, while often pointed first and foremost at ourselves, these critics also participate in the scrutiny of others. They are formed by and they form the culture of critique that can be the water we swim in. Between the internal and the external, it is a veritable barrage. A barrage that encourages the kind of frantic self-improvement efforts that we were surrounded by this past spring. One that can stymie creativity, growth, and transformation, not just in our individual lives, but in our collective life too. In Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, Adrienne Marie Brown 
reflects on the impact of critique in social justice movement spaces. She writes, we have a way of doing things that is so steeped in critique that I have often wondered if we would strangle social justice movement before it could blossom. She continues, these critiques can be excuses to keep us from getting involved or defense mechanisms to protect our hearts from failure. By itself, critique can shield us from responsibility of actually having to figure out solutions. Sometimes, she concludes, I think we need to liberate ourselves from critique, both internal and external, to truly give change a chance. How can we create the conditions so that individual and collective transformation that we yearn for can blossom? How can we give ourselves and one another the grace to grow, to explore and even to mess up as we move forward together? We have hard work to do, world-making work toward our collective wholeness that requires transformation, transformation of ourselves and transformation of each other. This is work that requires rigor and scrutiny and sometimes bright lights. And also work that requires compassion and softness toward ourselves and each other. As Unitarian Universalists, part of what we covenant to do together is encourage one another to growth. Reverend Erica Hewitt reminds us that encourage means to hearten to impart strength and confidence. This is our work as a religious community, she says, to encourage one another, to be bold in engaging the world around us as well as what scares us internally, to give one another the confidence and the heart to live as fully as possible. Though it may have struggled to be heard over the clamor and din of pandemic self-improvement, there was another set of voices in those early months too. A quiet rebuttal. You do not need to learn a language or lose 10 pounds or reorganize your closet. Even for those of us who are not bearing the brunt of this pandemic, the toll from stress and grief in this time is enormous. This is a time to be gentle with ourselves and gentle with each other. As we enter into this 10th month of pandemic, this message is more important than ever. But there's a version that's timeless too. As Nadia Bolsweber offers each year to her people there is no resolution that if you kept will make you more worthy of love. You as your actual self, not some made up ideal self, are already worthy. I hope that each of us can take that in. 
I hope that as we enter into this new year, we can behold ourselves and each other with some gentleness. I hope that we can keep our sharpness and our softness in equal measure. I hope that we can ground in our wholeness in service of the unfolding transformation of ourselves and our world. May it be so. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org 